Hello, hello, and welcome to the Inglorious Bastards podcast, where we talk about spirituality, news, and Mike Pounce. What? My name is. Wait, whoa, whoa, what? My name is Michael Basinger. With me are Brad Polly. What? Matt Polly. <laughs> Mike Pounce? And together we're the Inglorious I, Do I want to know? I feel like I don't. <laughs> Donald Trump called Mike Pence Mike Pounce on Twitter. Oh, that's... So on, on accident. Man. No, you it's know what? Good. I don't think it's on accident. No. I think it's because it's, it's a distraction. No, it's a distraction. It gets people talking about something else besides the wretched, horrible policies that they're Well, there is that. Uh, announcements. We are giving three books away of our guest, Jeremy Courtney. So if you want to get in on those giveaways, go to uh, twitter.com. You're going to want to get in on those really giveaways. Gonna want to want this book. All right. So, 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 so uh, twitter.com slash pastors podcast. Uh, the pinned tweet this week will, um, will uh, tell you how to, how to enter to win. It's super easy. You just got to follow us and uh, retweet basically. Um, also, uh, after the conversation that we have with, with Jeremy Courtney, uh, if you want to head on over to patreon.com slash pastors podcast, we will have a follow-up discussion just between us three. Uh, we did interview him on Saturday. Um, so, and then afterwards we felt it merited further discussion and, uh, yeah, uh, check it out. It's, it's, a, another a half hour of just our thoughts on what he yeah. was talking about. And that, I think, and I that'll, think that'll drop Saturday this yeah, week. I think you'll find the interview will lead to some uh, good discussion. Hopefully, so should it yeah. should. Um, all right, what? Oh, also, uh, last night I sat down with um, Billy Patterson and talked about wrestling <laughs> on the podcast. Mm, nobody was asking I'm gonna, for it. I'm gonna, of course, I'm gonna go ahead did. and skip that one. <laughs> it's it's high quality content. All right, let's get into it. Hey 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 hey, what are you drinking? So our friend uh, My first thought This party's got juice This party's gonna be off the, the hook <laughs> uh, Brian McPhail um, Friend of the podcast Brian McPhail The, the original Fiesta bucket sender Yeah uh, Has <laughs> struck again uh, This time he this has This time was something that you can actually swallow Yeah <laughs> That is what she said. said. Um, Okay, so he sent us uh, a card, and we'll get into uh, the stuff during Fat Pastures, the food. Um, But he says, uh, here are some milkshake IPAs to remind you that uh, we still got two more weeks of summer, bitches. Plus some of my favorite coffee from my favorite local roaster to help Brad and Michael make it home alive after the cocktail nights on the podcast. Also, please enjoy some delicious Washington Huckleberry Taffy. You guys are the best. Much love, Brian McPhail. Also, I'm, he, I'm your Huckleberry. He also sent me a, a DM, <clears throat> slid into my That's DMs. That's just my game. And he said, the goodies are sent. Also, I, I sent have a, two guns. I sent a sock each of you. in a Ziploc bag. Yeah, what? That's for Matt. After you give it to him, tell him, I'm feeling pretty good after the vasectomy, and here's a sample he asked for. Wow. Boy, that's uh, just need to make sure really all's quiet on the home yeah. That is the uh, that is the weirdest part of the vasectomy process. Is Shooting after f- at what eight weeks and sixteen weeks, you basically have to jerk off into a cup and take it to them. No, it's not basically. It's that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah, it's yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. So um, there's uh, Brian McPhail's little McFailures <laughs> for you. 
Really glad I didn't take that out of the bag. Five bucks if you do. What? Take it out of the bag and lick it. No. Oh, God. Wow. Okay. All right. Can What's, you unmute me, by the way? What are we Thank drinking? Uh, we're drinking... We're, are we so, just, he, so he sent four... Uh, he did send us some coffee. What's the coffee, Brad? Uh, Indian Malabar. Yeah. Sorry, Matt. You don't get any. That's fine. Whatever. Indian Indian Monsoon Malabar is what it's called from huh. Z Street Coffee in Auburn, Washington. We split it three ways. What's, it's what's a medium roast. That's Can't go coffee. wrong with a medium roast. You split it. Oh, so I do. I split some? it. No, I, we, um, Brad, me, and Beth. So <laughs> Beth gets some. Okay. You don't. <laughs> All right. Because it was just for the two of us, and we were nice enough to share it with your wife. Yeah. <laughs> Who's nice enough to probably share it with me? Well, nah. we'll see. I hope no, not. there's not. No, she will. Well, I'm hoping not. Mm. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, fuck you, Joe. All right, great. so do we want to go over these beers? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this one? one is ridiculously Hawaiian delicious. Crunk. These are all milkshake. They're all IPAs. milkshake IPAs. This is called Hawaiian Crunk. It is from River Bend Brewing Company. It's passion fruit. And guava milkshake IPA. It, I mean, it is. the milkshake IPA thing going on right now. I am a hundred percent on board new thing. with. Yeah. yeah, it brings all the boys to I'm the yard. I'm not sure I've had a bad one Mm-mm. of the of the few that I've. I had. haven't either. All Man, right, that is freaking. Does great. anybody want to pour this into their glass for keepsies? I'm holding off. On I'm gonna hold off. You're waiting to see. Rest. Okay. Uh, this is which one's okay. This one's uh, mango <sighs> fluff. Yourself, nails, man. I do. Ish. <laughs> <clears throat> That's mango fluff yourself. Mango milkshake IPA is what it's called. Mango, mango, mango fluff, yourself. fluff yourself, you mother fluffer. All right, Michael. <laughs> what's it say? Way on to, the, way to say make on the, the joke obvious. All right. Hmm. <clears throat> okay, I'm gonna say something. Most of the time, mango beers don't taste like an actual mango. It tastes like a mango. That tastes like an actual mango. Yeah, mm. that is really yeah. good, man. Yeah, that's wow. God, that's and so it, good. And it still like maintains the IPA. Yeah, a you little get a bit little tiny bit IPA. of the bitterness. Yeah, a little bit. Boy, that's really nice. Mm. That's two for two. Yep. All right. Uh, uh, the peach one I'm really excited about. Let's get that one rolling. This we're is basically doing shots of beer right now. Is what we're doing. Where um, literally life's a peach and then you die. I can't believe how much that actually tastes like mango. That's pretty good. It's good uh, holding a dripping can over the soundboard. <laughs> Liquid's good for soundboards. I like that one. And this is the peach. Mm-hmm. It's called uh, "Life's a Peach and Then You Die." It says. Yeah. IPA with peach and vanilla. Damn, that is that's good. It's pretty tasty. I think my palate's a little wrecked. Yeah, so is mine. I need like a I need a cracker or something like <laughs> to to cleanse the old palate. No, we're not gonna do that. Why? There's crackers in the cabinet. We can it's your house. Can you I'm not going cracker? to get you fucking crackers. I've been home fifteen minutes. You can get your own crackers. Um, man you, had to you know what today. you know what my favorite cracker is? My uncle, uncle cracker. He's the king of all crackers. <laughs> Give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. <laughs> I, I just, I can't, man. Don't I get down on the roll and drift away? That's, no, that's not. He Uncle covers Cracker. it. He, he covers it. It's his most popular song. Sure that's great. Yeah, I start saying, I'm pretty sure that's not. His, his most popular song is a cover song, I swear. Ooh, this, this does very... not smell good. <laughs> Oh man! Oh boy! <laughs> Barry the Hoptician. 
That's what she said. I'm going to go ahead and just say that I'm not a huge fan of berry beers, by and large. Hmm. Yeah, it's good for berry. Yeah, it's good. I can't taste anything. It's better than... Um, it's like berry cobbler. It's better than it smells. It tastes better than it smells. Well, Berry cobbler, that was my nickname. I had a nickel for every time. Why would that, that have been your nickname in high school, American Mike? pie joke. Mm, buried that's in what we buried need on this podcast. In the cobbler. I don't understand. Buried in the cobbler. I don't. I don't get it. I don't know what there was a I don't film. Know what stop it, Brad. The, stop. Don't encourage him. I think stop it. it. In the two thousands. Yes, the golden age of cinema, if you will. It was a uh, Shannon Elizabeth uh, vehicle. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, Jason Biggs, yeah. everyone's favorite, mm. really terrible actor. Mm. Yeah. Adam Sandler, light. Is what he is. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's good. It's less funny. Does not smell good. Yeah, no, it really doesn't. I don't know what the... <laughs> the nose is like dirty sock. Like All right, who feet. wants what? I call the mango. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I call the peach. Uh, I'll peach? do the Hawaiian crunk there. You know, <laughs> the well. berry's going to just sit there un- untouched. Oh, sorry, buddy. Here, hold on. Working on it. Very Tried to force grab that. <laughs> How'd that work? Didn't work. All right. Well, it worked kind of. I mean, you were the force. I am the force. Oops. Thank you, Brian McPhail. Yeah, Thanks, uh, those buddy. are four pretty good beers, man. Yeah, man. Uh, he sent us candy too. Are we oh, yeah, to? we're gonna get Michael. Fat what bastards. happened oh. there? I just poured it freestyle. <laughs> tried, <laughs> tried to aerate it. <laughs> well, tried to aerate, aerate it. it. You did. You might be able to drink it by tomorrow. It's good. <laughs> good lord. All right. Um, this round is on the Pastors Pub <laughs> and Brian <laughs> McPhail. Uh, if you'd like to buy us around, head on over to patreoncom podcast. It will get you access to our spinoff podcasts, access to the Pastors Pubs, closed Facebook group, where we talk about life, spirituality, and just about everything else. Things discussed in the pub this week. Mike Pounce uh, getting bit by the Triple Crown winner, American Pharaoh. Did you hear about that? Oh, did he really? Yeah, he got bit. Did he take it. his head off? Uh, I wish. I yeah. love this. Uh, also discussed, or like his hair, like the top of his hair. So he has like that old man bald thing going. Like that would be phenomenal. <laughs> I w- it would be great if we found out that he was actually bald underneath that that uh, helmet he wears. Yeah, um, I still secretly think he's gay. I don't think that's very much of a secret. I, yeah. think I could totally see that. Yeah, yeah he seems fabulous. Yeah, I'm sorry, but he the more ve- will get the vor- together. The vor- the more vehement, yeah, like anti-gay you are, the more I wonder. If what you call your w- wife yep. mother, then you're probably mm. a little gay. You're also a fucking freak. So once again, don't care because if he's gay. Other than the fact that I wish he would just come out and be okay with it, instead of like trying to openly destroy the lives yeah. of my gay friends, <laughs> would be fantastic. For sure, he's probably not gay. We should probably should not put him on the put make them claim him. Whatever. All right, uh, Nicholas Cage is left behind. Somebody brought it up. I don't know why. Why? why? I don't know. Who knows? Why, Who knows why things? Why happened. would you ever? Why would you ever watch that movie? I've seen it. Uh, I have no doubt. We should watch it. No. We want to watch it tonight instead no, of doing a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone in the pub decided to make their account a joint account, and they paid dearly for it. Yeah. Yeah, they really did. Yep. <laughs> they, 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 took a, they, they took quite the beating. Yeah, they took a shovel to the face for that yep. one. So don't do it. Um, Jerry Falwell's corruption was in in the pub. 
Yeah. I mean, why would anyone be surprised? Yeah. I mean, I that dude is he's as dirty, dirty. He is he is the he's as dirty as Trump is. Oh, by by a long, and that's saying something. Yeah. Yeah, he's filthy. Yeah, he'll get found out one of these days, man. Yep. All right, we want to do meditating with Gary Busey. Yep. All right, give me one second to click my button. That is what she said. Anything can be done with makeup or clay. This has been meditating with Gary Busey. Boy, that's a that's a thinker right there, man. <laughs> that's this this is some, that is some serious meditative shit right there. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I feel it like is. it isn't. No, it is. I think I think you could really work through that. And uh, what? What's the dog doing? She's just staring at me. <laughs> just there. So by look. the door, she's like got this sad look on her. And face. she's somewhat obstructed by the wall, so she's Winners. just peering over the corner. <laughs> It's like that kid who's side-eyeing you. Yeah. And that meme. <laughs> That's my dog, yeah. Uh-huh. Pretty fucking adorable, though. Yeah, she lie. is. All right. Uh, get to it, Matt. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Hold on. Uh, oh, I guess I should have thought You're listening to Look on the Bright Side with Mr. Brightside himself, Matt Polly. Always look on the light side of life. If life... Right. Uh, I okay. So when we did our year end thing last year, yeah. uh, I talked about how meditation was one of the things I had been working on or yep. whatever. And that by the end of this year, I wanted to be up to thirty minutes mm-hmm. a day. Yeah, and I'm up to thirty minutes a day. Nice, nice. Um, one solid thirty minutes. Or are you breaking it up? No, into a solid segments? thirty minutes. Oh wow. <clears throat> uh, I will say, I'm not every day. I'm not going to be hard on myself for missing a day here nope, and there. That no, misses, yeah. the, like, misses the point. It's just that that completely loses the yeah. point. I'm not saying this to like brag on myself because I'll be honest, I'm finding it very difficult to do so thirty tomorrow minutes. Tomorrow you'll, you'll do three <clears throat> days, three minutes. I'm doing. I'm finding it very difficult, but I've just had a thought tonight as I was uh, I was meditating on my drive home, and I think for me, I'm kind of I'm a little bit old fashioned in some ways. Where one of the reasons that I meditate, I think one of the main reasons is to. Because while I'm meditating, I'm fighting the urge to just say, oh, "I'll just get on my phone, all, yeah, whatever." Yeah, which I'll is a real, to, which I'll is a real to music. Fight. I'll I mean, listen to a podcast, yeah. whatever. I think there is merit, uh, mentally and, I guess, spiritually, for lack of a better phrase, to telling yourself no. Yeah, yeah. Like I think, and I think that's one thing I like about. It's, it's called edging, Brad. What? God damn it, man! What is no, it? it's not edging. No, it's not. I don't even know what that no, is. No, I don't even. Care. Don't ask. No. no. All right. So, <clears throat> I think there's merit in just saying no. I think there's 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 something to be said for th- fasting and not just for food, not just on food. Yes, for uh, sure. I am still. Uh, I still don't have Facebook on my phone. I have no plans on putting it back on. I'll get it on occasionally on my computer. Um, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of happy with that. Yeah decision so far with that balance it's been probably three weeks since i've really been on facebook much has it only been three weeks maybe more i don't know i don't know i'm not really counting but anyway uh i'm i find myself i find myself much less angry yeah um 
so I don't see any reason to not do that. But I think there's, I think there is a merit in telling yourself no. I think all of the great spiritual traditions have some form of fasting and some form of the idea that uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, because I think a modern idea, maybe it's not even that modern. Maybe it's been around. It's it's been around forever. But the idea it's like that she just gets off on being withholding. Right. <laughs> the idea. It's nice. It's a good reference. <laughs> uh, the Look at look at me getting off. Getting off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Y'all crazy slot. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I don't even know what I was saying. I'm sorry. sorry. Uh, something about uh, uh, um, you know, of controlling yourself. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a good thing. Oh, I think I I know what I was saying. I think there's a the idea that. Uh, it's a very progressive idea of just go ahead and do whatever makes you feel good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine to a certain point, but I think that can also be really destructive and harmful in the long run. I think everything in moderation. Right. That. And that's what, I, but I, that's what I think in everything in moderation, I think it's a good idea sometimes to... And this is where I think also like asceticism is the opposite side of, the, of wrong. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the idea of just like wearing camel hair and going on 30 day fasts. And I'm not sure any of that's necessary, but yoga I think it, park. D- I do think there's a, there's a balance. Wait, what? That's a joke in the park. I don't know what that means to be, to be, I think you can strike a balance and I think it's important to tell yourself no. Yeah. Sometimes no to your phone, no to food. That's no the whole to, point. That's, of fa- what, that's what that's fasting honestly, is. That's honestly yeah, one yeah. of the things, one of the reasons I do two or three rounds a year of whole 30 is not is not just to fit back into pants, but like I mean that does certainly it's a great byproduct. <laughs> but like it's cleansing. It, it it's a it, I tell myself no. There's things I can't eat on that, and I know that maybe that's just my personality. But I and maybe I'm just a little more old fashioned in that. But I think there's merit in that, and just sometimes just saying no to yourself. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Whether it's giving up alcohol for a month or a couple months or your phone or a certain food or whatever, I think there is. There is an element of control that is good that yeah. can lead you to a, a different, I don't know, can to lead to more peace and that kind of stuff. I don't know. So, yeah, but I would say not to the point of being miserable, though. That's what I, I mean. That's, no, no, no. That's, that's the, what I'm that's saying. That's the like, moderation piece. That's, that's where I think, like, asceticism, I have okay. my problems with yeah. monks that, you know, in the past you read of monks that are like literally flagellating themselves and, yeah. and you know, going on months, Michael, Michael, God, I didn't we made say this no, Michael, you don't have to say Michael, it. I, I just made the same joke in God our damn, head. It's at the on exact your face. Same time. It was on as, Matt's face too. As soon as I said the word, I regretted it immediately. Just it was like I looked at you too. sons of bitches. It was Matt too. And I saw it on your face. God. Anyway, I think I, I have problems with that extreme yeah. asceticism, sure. too. Yeah. I think that can also even, you know, it sounds like that can also be an ego thing. Uh, you know, look at how much I deny myself or whatever. So anyway, I, I just the 30 minutes thing. I've just started it within the last week or so. And I'm I'm having I'm, I'm finding it. It's kind of yeah. difficult. It's it's kind of hard. Yeah. Um, I will find myself wandering quite a bit. Yeah, during the thirty, but I feel like it's worth taking. It's that. okay though, because there was I was on the way home and I thought, well, I'll just you know, about halfway through, I was like, ah, screw it, I'll just stop it and I'll turn on my, I'll just look at, I'll look at Instagram or whatever <laughs> for a minute. I, I didn't, and I and I think that's that's good. I think that's good to just go. No, I'm just gonna fight that urge for another. It's 15 minutes, man. Like, yeah, I think that's a good thing. So it, it is. A good yeah, thing. I, I I'll go and to acknowledge and to acknowledge the. 
disruption. Yeah. You go, yeah. oh, there you are. Right. I appreciate you showing up. Right. I don't need you right now. We'll come back to it. Yeah. And then go back to what you're right. doing. Yeah. I'll, I'll do several days where it's three minutes and then I'll do an, uh, an hour one day. Yeah. And it just, it, it, and the, what I, sometimes that's all I need is three minutes. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I need, I need more. It's a long time, man. It, it's a, long it's time. a really freaking long time. Yeah, and hard. just centering yourself back on your breathing is what I go yep. to. So the mind wanders and then you just recenter. Yep. Um, and, and not to, you know, you know, pick it up, look at it and put it back down. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like, I use my meditation app all the time, but mostly I use it at night for sleep. So like, I don't meditate a ton right now, which is something I I need to probably move towards a little bit more, but that's something I've never done before either is like using it to like, I play something every night to met, to, to go to sleep. Like you have earbuds or something. No, I just put my phone on my charger, my charging pad and I just let it go. And I've caught and gotten used to it. Like normally it's just like, I need like fan, like white noise, but I've had shut shut off after so long. Yeah. I haven't done any. However however long they are. Like I've got one, the harp, it's like harp, which is nine hours of heavy metal harp. (laughs) (laughs) Metallica. Thunderstruck (laughs) on harp. But, uh, and I've got, you know, Tibetan singing bowls on one. I've got one that's just like more of like just ambient shit that somebody put together. Yeah. So, it's just nice to have that, and I put it on like halfway up on my phone on volume, so it's there, but it's not like intrusive. Yeah, it's not gonna keep you awake. Honest to God, it helps. It really does that's help. Good. So I, I encourage Insight Timer for anybody else. That's it's free. It's free. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. if if you like the the person who's doing it, you can yeah support them. You can support them. You can. We have some tur- we have some turds on there. Yeah, uh, Sondra Turnbull and uh, Steve O Steve O Austin. Never heard of him. F A F A Austin. Yeah. What, what's your uh, right, okay, I've got two. Can I do two real quick? I don't care. Uh, sure. I'll, I'm going to uh, do two later on. This so past this past weekend, um, so like I hurt my back Thursday at work at like six fifteen in the morning, and I was literally walking like an S. I looked like an S when I walked, to the point where people are like, "Man, Matt looks messed up," um, like to each other, like over the radio. More than normal, yeah, pretty okay. much. Um, so like I was in a lot. It, it was a really it was a hard day because we were short on people. The two guys I generally rely on weren't there, so I had the trainee. I've only been there like three and a half months. I don't know shit, um, and it worked out. So, But this weekend, um, Saturday, we had a family meal at Mammal's house, um, which is which we haven't been at Mammal's for a while. Which was and, like, hey, let's celebration get together. of your youthfulness. Yeah, it was like a quasi-birthday celebration. Somehow I only get quasi-birthday Did they sing <laughs> happy birthday? <laughs> No, Ish. we didn't do anything birthday. No, I, I never like nothing. The, no, we were there. I ne- you know, it's funny because we were there. I never made the connection that I had anything to do with your birthday. No, like like you and Stephen <laughs> and whoever in January or December get their birthdays together. Yes. I didn't even get candles. Like, <laughs> Mammal handing me my card and like half saying happy Keep birthday to me. That is burning. so funny. So anyway, I, it's fine. But it was just it was a really fun time. Um it was really, really, it's pretty relaxing for the most part. The food's phenomenal. Always good. The chicken, the, what we call it, Mamaw's chicken? Well, <laughs> or whatever. She doesn't make it, but Yeah, sure. she doesn't, but it's, it, the marinade we have is phenomenal. Anyway, it was just a really good time. And then Sunday, uh, Beth and I had lunch with the uh, doctor and Dr. Pickens family. Ooh, doctor and doctor. And the kids. And then we went to the Cascades Park for a little while, but that was really nice. And then Sunday night, I was over at Brad's house for dinner. Uh, Brad had Beth and I over for dinner, and we had carnitas. Carnita. Oh, I didn't get any salsa from you. It's gone now. Fuck. <laughs> dude can make dude white boy can make some tacos. And white boy can make some salsa. That salsa was that was it salsa verde basically. No, it's roasted tomatillo salsa. Oh, I gotta learn how to make that. Did that you roast your own tomatillas? I do. Mm, Broil nice. them right. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's not technically ribs. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Yeah, pretty much. Anyway, and so it was just a really, it was just a really relaxing weekend. So it was nice. It was just a nice, nice. And my back, by the time Monday rolled around, my back was in pretty good shape. So yeah. you need to do more tantric stretching before you <laughs> start work. Always, always a good idea. Always a good idea. Yeah. Works for Sting. Yeah. Um, and then my second one is just uh, uh, with work. I'm starting to like. I've had a pretty good week as far as like um, having confidence to like just go. Oh, I'll I'll take care of that instead of relying on somebody. Now I don't always know what I'm doing, and I don't always like. Sometimes I'm basically guessing, but like that's kind of half the job anyway. It's just like with these machines. Sometimes you're just technically guessing. homeless, <laughs> basically guessing. Um, but it was a pretty good week as far as that because I was kind of forced to. I've been forced to sort of, um, sort of step out on my own and just figure stuff out. And so I'm just. If somebody's like, we didn't have a lot to do back where we are today. Everything ran pretty smooth. So it was like helping out on the front side of the building. Nice. Um, and so we did that. And so that, it, I know there's going to be, I mean, there's days where like you get your ass kicked and you don't know what you're doing and it, it's frustrating and it's something stupid you missed. And, but there's also days in the last week or so where it's been like, oh, I might be able to do this actually. Yeah. So that's pretty good because there's a lot to learn. I mean, it's a, yeah. I mean, with it, I mean, a year from now, I'm still not going to know. You're always learning. I mean, there's a guy that's been there doing maintenance. He's been there for like 30-some years, but he's only been a year on maintenance. And he still is like, hey, I've been doing this for 20 minutes. Anybody got any ideas? So, like, it's a pretty hard – there's a lot of machines. It's a big learning curve. So I have a question for you. Okay. Um, after you – so you got home. <laughs> I'm and so you, afraid right now. And you now. took a shower. Yeah. Um, and, and Washed my tender shower. nipple buds. So, um, okay. That was for you, buddy. Uh, that was <laughs> that was a reference for Brad. Yeah, like, yeah, I got it. Um, your hair. Scrubbing with pumps. Did you put yeah. product in your hair after no, you got? Okay, I did not because you got a little Superman Clark Clark Kent little thing in the middle. Do I? Yeah, you oh, pulling off a little bit of Superman. No, it's fine. Sorry about that. I, just, I wanted to know if it was intentional <laughs> for us. No, he looks like Superman after he's given up. Yeah. <laughs> Too much kryptonite. Fuck this. I'm yeah. out. Grew a beard. <laughs> Superman if he didn't give a damn. After Lois kicks him out. <laughs> In crypto. Crypto bit his ankle. Uh, Michael, what do you got? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Um, uh, mine was, okay, so Friday... Um, the family and I went to Irish Fest, and it yeah, was you did. a shit ton of fun. I like to go sometime, man. That you a lot should go. I work every um, damn weekend. I know. Oh, wait, yeah. I didn't work this. Yeah, week. you you could have gone. Shit, you you could have gone. It seems like anything good that happens, my back is either hurt or <laughs> or, yeah. or I'm working. One of the two. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, had shepherd's pie, had scotch egg, had mm. beer nice. galore. Yeah, it was great. Did so. you get lit. I uh, know I only had two beers, yeah. but I had only had a salad. So the first beer, oh, I yeah. felt really lit I'll before I did. got any of that. I cannot believe in there. you have you the, you have like the least tolerance the least to- alcohol tolerance I've ever seen yeah. on a human being. It, it, it all depends on what I eat. If I don't eat very much, that well, day, I don't think it matters because like, every time, like it, it's definitely worse. If, if the I don't three eat. of us are drinking, I don't even drink that much anymore. Like I don't really. I drink maybe a beer a week at home. Like yeah. yeah. I don't drink for at home at all. And I don't. Either. I just am amazed that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> see how I only have three a day. Uh, so it's like a multivitamin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> God. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I, d- I don't have a very high tolerance. No, I, you I don't. can't believe so, how low your tolerance yeah. is. But it was a lot of fun, and we saw some some live bands there. Yeah. The fighting I love Jamesons. Irish music. Oh man, it was so it's pretty and it's fun. Like, so many talented people. It's like people who do Irish music. They don't just go half hearted. Right. It's not like some no, people. You, out can't of can't do, you can't do that half jerking off into yeah, a yeah, yeah. guitar. Yeah. It's uh, it's <laughs> jerking off. God, I just. <laughs> Uh, it's people, you know. Do it. Yeah, yeah, don't do it on mine. So, Thanks. All right. Anyway. Again, you mean? No. Oh God. Those mountains, man. That's. Matt has mountains. Are we still doing this? Podcast? I'm, I checked out. Yeah. Already, so. I, yeah. All right. Uh, what, what are we doing? I, what's next, Michael? I don't. I don't newsfeed. Uh, oh no, uh, fat bastard. Oh, fat bastard. Because we got yeah. a little bit here yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, What's his name? We have one thing. Um, yeah. Right. Um. Don't you wanna be, wanna be a fat pastor? That was the old one. Oh, he's so great. We all wanna be, wanna be a fat pastor. Fat pastor. What's that bag say? It's, these are these are from mm. Mr. McPhail. These are staying here. Oh man, that's pretty good. Newcastle Fruit and Produce Company, Wild Huckleberry Taffy. Mm. Oh my God, that's great. Hmm. I'll be chewing this for the rest of the podcast. Might need to take a break. Man, that's really good. Mm. All right, we'll be right back. Mm. I generally not a taffy fan much. That's that's nice. Mm. Five minutes later. Why is it still playing the metronome? <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was <laughs> a little long. Let me, uh, let me turn that metronome off. <laughs> I don't know if they can hear it, which is... Uh, Dude, seriously? None. All right, right. we're going to have to pause. (laughs) It's still doing it. God damn it. (laughs) For how long now? It's still doing it. God damn it. Man, I've listened to it twice. Uh, We're back. All right, no metronome. Hey, Hey. Hey. there we go. Five hours later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was really good taffy. Yeah, that was, yeah. That's pretty tasty, man. Yeah. So once again, thanks to uh, Brian Mack for, uh, for that. Brian Mack is back no, to the PC no, track. Okay, no. it's Jack. Are we doing the music thing? Yeah, again? we're doing the music thing. All right. Hey, I, I, before we do the music thing, I want to um, put an addendum to the rules of the music thing. Okay. No, no. In the case that uh, we have a song picked out. Okay. And then an artist we love uh, passes away. Okay. I think we can do a twofer. Okay. All right. It's our podcast. We can do what we want, right. Michael. I'm just laying it out there. Uh, the okay, rules. so I'm doing my. He's just I'm, doing it so he can play Daniel Johnston. I know. Let's so just be I found this. I found this album. We absolutely fucking. Hate I found Daniel this album Johnston. literally last night, like 9:30, via I think it was the AV Club actually, the Onion AV Club. Okay. Uh, was um, it Lizzo? Paul Paul, <laughs> Paul Coffin. A little late. One hundred percent. That bitch. <laughs> um, I was watching uh, uh, Seth Meyers the other night. I kind of love that song. And he's like, it's it's National National Late Day. So any white people there, uh, have you heard about Lizzo? (laughs) Um, Okay, this is literally, okay, you're going to, it's a country album. That's whatever. He he sounds like a a cross of Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley. Like, Johnny Presley is his name. (laughs) Elvis Cash. (laughs) It turns out. Turns out he's a hundred percent that bitch. Um, You're listening to anyway, Casey Casey. Paul Cawthon. The album is called Room Forty One. Uh, the song it's like a 
sort of outlaw country sort of thing. It's not that modern stadium yeah. bullshit. Right. It's like actual good country. Right. Um, this is called cocaine country. Fine, I'm kind of obsessed with Lily Mae right now. <laughs> She's yeah. kind of that same. Anyway, this is cocaine country dancing. Is it? Maybe. There we go. There we go. Ooh, it's dirty. Yeah, I'm hooked. There's already. some filthy, dirty, like bluesy, like. Roll up to the club in my 1964 Caddy Street, ready to stomp. That is interesting. Dude, the first song, Holy Ghost Fire. Oh my God. It's, is that what this one is? No, this is Cocaine Country Dancing. Have you guys seen Empire Records? Yeah. Get a little bit of Rex Manning on this one. <laughs> Let me play. I'll play a little bit of Holy Ghost Fire. In the best a, possible Rex Manning way. I don't know what that means, but that's it's Rex Manning Day. Don't worry about it. This is the opening track. Like, I was kind of. I've listened to it twice in two days. Like,. This is kind of no, I'm kind of intrigued. Okay, I hear it. It sounds like a real a person that's actually country and not just some yes. buddy that was shit out by the Nashville like country music establishment. Yeah. Kind of Sturgill Simpson-y, yes. other, like that yes. sort of like good yeah. throwback country. Outlaw country. He's not just singing about whiskey and women no. and trackers and bullshit. Hey, there's nothing like, wrong with whiskey, women, or trackers. Yeah, I dig it. It's, I'll give it a listen. Yeah, man. Who is that again? Paul Cawthon, C-A-U-T-H-E-N. Room 41 is the album. Okay. Paul Cawthon's. So before right. Michael shits all over this, I'll do mine. I'm not going to shit all over it. I'm going to totally play I know you are. homage to uh, one of the greatest musical no, minds of our no, time. No, no, no. Stop. The lead singer from The Cars? No. Yeah, Rick Ocasek. If no, you'd no, like to. Fuck. And uh, 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 who's the other guy? Eddie Money. Yeah. Yeah. Take an Eddie home tonight. All right. I don't want to let uh, This is a band I just kind of stumbled upon this week named White Denim. Oh, oh you didn't send me this. They're going to say I White didn't. Snake. No, right. no White, Disappointed. White Snake, Michael. My two musicals. White Snake's been White around Denim, a while. White Denim is a good name. Two, for mu- a two music sources are, are my uh, brother and the, uh, the uh, rap correspondent, Shameek Williams. The album is called Side Effects. The Pickens song really is called, fell off, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. The He's song is called tired of see if young. Small Talk. Am I am I okay. on? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You have to hit play though. Oh, I'm already digging it. I like this album a lot. What's it called? Side effects is the album. I'm digging this. Yeah. What's the band called? White Denim. This album is nine songs. It's only 29 minutes long. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yep. This is, I was hooked from the beginning. Fuck you for not sending this to me, I, man. You know, I was listening to it on the road. I meant the other yesterday. I meant to and yeah. just forgot. So. But yeah, it's good. So about they also, white denim. They also have an album band. called Stiff, <laughs> with the album cover of a painting of somebody with underwear with cactuses coming out of the top. Ah, well, so, you know, there's that. <laughs> Neat. I'm digging that, man. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. stuff. Yeah, Michael, what right, you got? Uh, well, Sarah's, I'm going to go to the Sarah's bathroom. about to be pissed at me because <laughs> I'm about to I'm gonna go steal ahead and her. Take music. my headphones out. 
don't know if it's going to work or not. This is listening on Sarah's iPhone. So okay, she's uh, stolen the. How do I get this on here, Michael? I you, we've done this before. I know, but I've never had to tell her to quit using her using the uh, thing. Here you go. We share a Spotify. Sorry, Spotify. Yeah. That's not it. All right, let me pause. Michael, what are you doing? No, don't pause. I'll just, I'll play this as a okay. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eddie Money is dead to me. Yeah. Well, some catchy tunes, man. They're not good, but they're catchy. He's fine. Come on, two tickets to paradise? Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Michael, you still Go working on it? Yeah. Do you want me to pause? No, God. that's all right. What the fuck? I'm trying to get Sarah to get off fucking Spotify. <laughs> you can't use it at the same time? No. What song do you we want? Have a family just, account. I can play it for you here. All right. Um, she just said fine. <laughs> mm. Michael will be sleeping on the couch tonight. Yeah. God, how do I get get this? I still don't have any I idea. I got two tickets in my pocket now, baby. Gonna disappear. Waited so long. Waited so long. There we go. Waited so long. I got nope. oh, All right, I'm ready. It. All right, you can turn it off. All right, All right that's going on pause, though. We're going to hit that. Course. No, we're not. Yeah, we are. Uh, so, Daniel Johnson died. He's dead to me, so. Yeah. There you go. The coyote goes. He's fucking terrible. I don't understand I, the Daniel yeah. Johnson obsession. Have, have no, he's terrible. Every fucking hipster in the world's like, oh, Daniel Johnson's really good. No, he's not. Listen to this. He was always polite to the people who tell him that he was nothing but a lazy bum. It sounds like something a, a freshman in high school would make in between jerk-off sessions. You're a terrible person. No, he's terrible. He's not terrible. He's Michael, great. listen to this shit. It's good. Here, I'll play another one. Don't let the sun go down on your grievance. Yeah. Wow. Right? It's so good. Michael. Here's the other song that has me playing. Nobody likes this guy. Everyone likes No, no. Fuck I that. do like this no, guy. No, you don't. No, fuck you. No, no. no seriously, <laughs> fuck you. Now you pissed me off. Because I do actually like I this. don't get it. Well, fuck you. I don't care if you don't understand it. It's fine. Nobody cares. God. Now you pissed me off. Good. Now I am the you brought angry Daniel one. Johnson to this. You knew what was going to happen. No, but seriously. Don't say people don't like it. People love this guy. All right, just for that, i got to play one more song. Michael, that's four songs. No, no, I'm going to play the song I was originally going to oh, play. Oh, okay. Who is it? Um, His name is... Hold on, let me... Uh, <laughs> Glad you're super prepared. Dean Summerwood okay. is his name. So here's a song. That was my name in high school. Good country music for you. All right. Good country I can deal with. The lyrics are really good. I'm still parked out by the lake, 80 miles from Santa Fe. 
And I'm sitting here just parked out by the lake. Kind of an interesting voice. Yeah. yeah. It's not bad. If you're wondering where I park, I'm out parked by the lake. It's the lake that's 80 miles from Santa Fe. It's not bad. And I'm parked out by the lake. Miles Michael, he's fucking trolling. I know he is. God damn it. No, I know he is. What? Man. I bought into it. I bought it hook, line, and I don't mind the voice. It's not my thing. I don't mind the voice. So this guy... I don't remember what his real name is, uh, but he had this this idea that Man. it doesn't matter what what you put in a country song as long as the first line is good, the rest of the song doesn't matter. Yeah, and yeah so, that's actually really true. That's really yeah. true. So he, it's like Bo Burnham's whole thing he does on the country <laughs> yes, music. Yeah, oh yeah. my gosh! <laughs> so that is like uh, that's he, there is a real song that's not called "Parked Out by the Lake" that he sings that first line and it continues like a real song, but. <laughs> Okay, that's yeah. pretty funny, actually. <laughs> Dean Summerwood is not his real name. So, <laughs> all right, move on. All right, uh, let's go into the news feed. Right. Are you ever gonna bring like a real song? No, he's not. I might. You know, I gotta get through all my joke songs first. Oh, so never then. <laughs> so never. Yeah. <laughs> next, next week will be next week will be Yeah, five iron friends in the W's. All right. Uh. From Neoscope. Oh, no, it's from Futurism.com. All right. Mm, uh, that's not a real website. Yeah, it is. Horrifying study. Corpses thrash around for a year after death. Oh, wait, what? Scientists, photogra- scientists photographed a corpse for 17 months. So you don't have to. Oh, that's new. No, no. Okay. Keep, this is, keep this going. is nightmare shit. As keep bodies going. decompose, they tend to slowly but surely writhe around for a year or longer. Kind of like a chicken. This, disturb, this disturbing factoid of. comes courtesy of scientists at the Australian... Of course, it's Australia. Good day, mate. At the Australian facility for taphonomic experimental research. It's a body farm where human corpses are made available for scientific research. Oh, is that research. in... Uh, there's one of those in Knoxville at the University of Tennessee. A body farm? Yeah. Is there? Yep. Um, uh, they turn human bodies into taffy. In That's a, what it is. <laughs> Huckleberry taffy. It's yeah. Fucking good taffy, though. <laughs> yeah, it could have far-reaching sweet, sweet implications for uh, forensic investigators to determine how corpses wriggle around over time. Australian scientists photographed a man's corpse, donated to the body farm for study every half hour for 17 months. Like that's a lot of time. Like every half it hour, moved every half hour for seventeen. They just months? photographed it every half hour for 17 and months. They did like a stop, basically, yeah. thing or whatever. Troublingly, the body's arms started down along its sides, but ended up outstretched. Dude, nope. We think nope, the movements nope, nope, relate nope, to nope. the process of decomposition as the body mummifies and the ligaments dry out. Yeah, so that makes sense. It's the body's just settling. Essentially, but your joint—I mean, everything dries up, and it's so getting tense, it gets so tenser, gonna, and so your yeah. arms are going to raise up. Your ligaments are still going to do their job. They're still going to make movement. When I mean, you when you die, can we put a like a GoPro in your funeral? <laughs> I don't care. And That's fine. Yeah. Uh, time lasts for... Co- this is why I'm planning on being cremated. <laughs> just FYI. Let's just get that done really quickly. Where do you want us, want us to uh, spread your ashes? <laughs> Over Daniel Johnston's grave. There you go. Uh, time lasts photography is already a commonly used practice to monitor decomposition and calculate the time of death, but understanding how bodies move over time could make those calculations more accurate. This is for forensic investigators. Like, It could have implications for how they... Right. De- how they... Deal with decomp, de- yeah, decomposing right. bodies. So anyway, I thought so, I thought that was interesting. I mean, the article makes it sound like you know zombies, but it's really just 
I'm, I'm guessing if you open a grave, like the the arms are going to go like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not going mean, to do that. No, I wouldn't either. Are they going to go up? You think? Probably, yeah. I mean, cause I'm guessing they're probably at some point they raise up against the top of the coffin, and eventually everything dries out and decomposes and goes away. But you want to go check it out? See if it's true. No, I don't, Michael. That's just not. This is not Young Frankenstein. And my last story won't load. Great, cool. All right, that's fine. Yeah, it was from Good News Artwork. Um, the, basically, the story is that um, there were four guys who had uh, five guys who had tickets to the Red Sox games. Okay, one of them couldn't go; they flaked out. So these other four friends gave it to a homeless guy and took him with him. Oh, well, that's kind of isn't nice. that cool? Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the basic story. I, for what it is, it won't pull up, but that's the basic story. I've had it saved for a while. I just thought that was a yeah. It's just good people doing good stuff, man. Yeah. I mean, they're really making me look bad with my homeless guy. I'm not taking my homeless guy to any baseball <laughs> games. I just take mine to get food. What the hell's wrong with me? Man, uh, I'm just kidding. Good Lord. No, relax. I, no, him. no, just relax. No, him. Just relax. It's just him. Like, I'm not taking, I'm, I'm not going to take my homeless guy to a bed. God. Uh, man. Michael. In the arms <laughs> of it's been a while. It has been a while. Uh, <laughs> all right, Michael. Uh, all right. Uh, all right. Brad, what you got? Um, you want the good, the good one or the? Uh, <laughs> I want the bad one. All right, I'm gonna do both. Do so you want that one first? Yeah, give it to me. <clears throat> Massive semen explosion after blaze oh, hits yeah. bull artificial insemination facility. <laughs> Shame. Ju- firefighters forced to dodge projectiles. How does? How, what? Hold how? on. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> A huge fire at a cattle breeding facility in Australia has caused thousands of dollars in damage. It's like the world's least popular uh, elementary field trip. Uh, it's caused thousands of the semen farm. Caused thousands of dollars of damage after at least a hundred cylinders containing bull semen were destroyed. Kids, we're going to the Big Rock Candy Mountain. <laughs> Uh, emergency services were called to the blaze in the early hours at Yarum Herd Services. Yarum? Never heard of them. Yarum Herd Services was my country music band. And I Never was. heard of them. <laughs> uh, in Gippsland, Victoria. According to ABC, it took 10 fire crews more than two hours to fully extinguish the fire after it broke out around 3 a.m. local time. A spokesman from the Country Fire Authority told Daily Mail Australia that the fire had completely shredded the building. Country it's... Fire Country Fire Authority Gippsland Commander Chris Lotion Call. Okay, that was a nickname wait, in high school. Wait, lotion Call. Yeah, there's there's, there's a joke. It's somewhere. Chris Bloody Lotion Call. Uh, said that, that was more Scottish. He gonna call. Uh, said the crew had lotion to be call. wary of projectiles coming at them while they tackled the blaze. Apparently, semen explodes when it right, gets heated so up. Hold on. No, I'm is, not done. Is semen flammable? Well, I, well, let's, I mean, let's find out. I, it seems like it's a liquid. But it's all the, the liquid inside this. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Give me five minutes. Will you? And a lighter. It's way worse than mad cow disease. <laughs> Are you done? 
<laughs> Almost. The liquid inside the cylinders was rapidly expanding, and essentially the lids of the cryogenic cylinders were just popping off the top, and projectiles were being thrown from the building. So essentially, you know, Seen they're housing cryo, they're housing like cryo chambers. In the lot, the tops were heating up and popping off, and then they were shooting like missiles out the top. It's like in Ghostbusters. Semen missiles. It's like in Ghostbusters when so the, firefighters the goo gets on them. Yeah, well, they, they blow the, the marshmallow man with its cow semen. So firefighters went into a defensive mode. Yeah, I bet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Initially, initially to protect themselves because there were also cylinders at a neighboring property, and they did a magnificent job. Uh, yeah, I mean, sounds like an origin story for a villain in a comic book. <laughs> he fell into the bull semen tank. Maybe semen this is, man. I think this is actually Spider-Man's origin story. It's the real uh, one. So now there's a shortage of Red Bull. Uh, uh, <laughs> there you go. Well, there it is. Uh, uh, yeah. Anybody so, else got semen jokes? No. Uh, um, here's an semen. interesting one. Here, here's an interesting one. Uh, check let's doctors. Call it hot sailors. No, wait. Let's call it hot. Se- ah! I like hot sailors. <laughs> I do too. So do I. Uh, check doctors deliver baby girl 117 days after mother's brain death. Oh. Whoa. Yep. So they kept her. Yeah. So Is they this kept your her alive. Good story. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Uh, so. When a helicopter rushed an unconscious Czech woman who had suffered a severe stroke to the hospital in April, her chances of survival were slim, and those of the fetus she had carried in her womb were for 15 weeks were little better. So when the mother went into brain death, she was 15 weeks pregnant. Wow. Uh, and yet Yeesh. on August 15th, against all odds, a healthy baby girl was born by C-section, uh, weighing 4.7 pounds and measuring 42 centimeters, which is about 16 and a half inches. Um, tiny baby. It's said that 117, uh, 117 days that she had been kept alive in the womb were believed to be a record for the longest artificially sustained pregnancy in a brain dead mother. The um, so the mother whose identity was not revealed had been declared brain dead shortly after reaching the hospital. Upon mm-hmm. which the doctors immediately began the struggle to save her child. They put the 27-year-old woman on artificial life support to keep the pregnancy going and even regularly... Oh, dude, she's young. Even regularly moving her... Even regularly moved her legs to simulate walking to help the child's growth. Wow. Wow. After the delivery in the 34th week of gestation with the husband and other family members present, medical staff disconnected the mother's life support systems and allowed her to go. So, literally life from death. Yeah, like... Mm. Yeah, I just I don't know, man. I read that I was just like I know wow. it's not it's not really it, a but it's good a good story, but it's definitely I mean it's interesting to say the least. Uh, well, like everything else in life, it's a mixed bag. I mean, it's kind I mean, of amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, they it's could, astonishing that they can do that. It's astonishing. So yeah, mm. there you go. Wow. Yeesh. All right. Uh, on a lighter note, um, so nationwide petinsurance.com. Yeah. Uh, nationwide, they're on your side. Uh, they do uh, 2019 wacky pet names. Okay. So, uh, do you want to do dogs or cats? Dogs. All right. Um, all right. Here are the. Um, let me see if I can find the top ten. Um, wackiest dog name. Okay. 
Um, here are the top ten in no particular order. Okay. Albus Dumbledog. <laughs> That's pretty good. Big League Chewy. <laughs> Bilbo Beggins. <laughs> Captain. Captain Morgan Freeman. <laughs> okay, that that's pretty good, man. Uh, <laughs> DJ Scribbles and Bits. <laughs> Grandpa. I don't know. That's a great one. Indiana Bones. That was my nickname in high school. No, it wasn't. Uh, Isn't that a porn? Stella Boone. I'm 100% probably, sure it Probably is. guarantee it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not going to Google it, but it I'm had, sure. It hit a bones in the temple of Poon. Okay. okay. <laughs> well. God, what the fuck? <sighs> uh, Stella Bean Dip. Uh, and here's some good ones. Nostradogmus. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that a lot. <laughs> and... Uh, Ruff Bader Ginsburg. Ruff, nice. <laughs> I like yes. that a lot. Uh, and then let's go ahead and do the cats because why not? It's yeah, <laughs> when in Rome. No, <laughs> no, Michael. It's not when in Rome. All right, here we go. Wu Wu Tang Wu Tang Cat. Sorry, Reese Whiskerspoon. God, the cat names are better. Uh, John Claude Van Dam. Claude. Nice. That's really okay, good. Okay, that's pretty yeah. great. Uh, Henry Hissinger. Wow, that's a throwback. <laughs> Stinky Pudding. Stinky? Stinky. Uh, Dave Meowthews. <laughs> so that's a stretch. <laughs> that is a... <laughs> Boba Fettuccini. What? Boba What's Fettuccini? that to do with a cat? I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, avocado. Avocado. Uh, Avocado. Uh, avocado. 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 It's like they named it after a vegetable. Cool. Uh, Harry Potter. Yeah. And Al Clacino. Clacino. <laughs> God. There are several more. Can we talk about how Al Pacino is kind of an overrated actor? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like at no point in any role I've ever seen him have ever been like, I think I can act. Yeah. Like, I don't. I don't get it. Here, here's. <laughs> Number 39 on the list. Pizzeria, meow, meow, fluff ball, sir, meows a lot. No. See, that's just stupid. Yeah, Lando Catrissian. Okay, okay I like that. Right. Yeah. There, there's, there, they've got a list of 50 okay. different ones. Because then you just call them Lando, man. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. Lando! Yeah. Cinnamon, right. r- cinnamon Raisin Bagel the first. That's a terrible. Chalupa Batman. What? Chalupa Batman. No, that's a league reference. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Um... Christopher Chalupa Batman. So Miami is uh, is selling the naming rights to their um, their stadium. So the, for the <laughs> Miami Heat. Oh, I thought it's Miami Dolphins. Like nobody gives a shit. So a local business has decided they want to they want to put a bid in for it. They bid um, ten million dollars oh. for the naming rights. <laughs> yes, it I is, heard. Uh, that. <laughs> Bang Bros. <laughs> oh, you know what? My I hope they get it. I do. I hope they get it. Ten million dollars. So seems, I'm what, waiting. Okay, so I'm a huge. So like Bang I'm Bros. Arena. You're a huge Bang Bros. Guy. No, no. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, no, I'm a huge soccer fan. I am just waiting for a 
porn site to end up with their name on the front of something. Oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. Because the reality Some, is it's they up want for the money. sale. They want the money. Yeah. yeah. And if, if, uh, if Pornhub puts up, you know, $80 I'm million you right dollars now, man. or something. I'm telling you right now they're going to turn it down. Oh, Because the sure. backlash. It'll be, yeah. The backlash would be worse than, like, grabbing Colin Kaepernick as your quarterback. Yeah. What like, do you think it would take for... Miami to embrace the Bang Bros. Probably more what than $10 they, million. Yeah, they would probably have to give each citizen, like, what, $1,000 for them to be like, Let's talk right, about I'll the fact it. that Bang Bros has $10 million in disposable I'm income. I'm guessing oh, that dude, if they're, that's if they're, probably a drop. If, say, if they're dropping the $10 million on that, they've got that's well, pocket I change. Think porn that's my, is I think big that's my money. point. Yeah. Like, There's a yeah. lot of money in, yeah. in porn. Yeah. <laughs> is June over there? No. Right, you keep looking over there, giving me the heebie jeebies. Like, June's listening to talk about Bang Bros. <laughs> it's not my brand. <laughs> Is that Jude saying it's like mean, Bang Bros brand? Yes. Really? <laughs> Odd. Oh, right. good lord. Are we ready for Foofy now? We can do Foofy. I got one more that's pretty fascinating. I think you might actually all like right, it. All right, let's do it. That's fine. All right. Um, so, Google Earth, people are finding stuff all the time. Um, uh, I think Go- I was saying Google Earth leads uh, to the remains of a missing yes. Florida man in a lake. Seriously, yeah. So it took 22 years, but a missing man's um, remains were finally found thanks to someone who zoomed in on his former Florida neighborhood with Google satellite images and noticed a car submerged in the lake. 22 years, nobody found that. How did you not years? find that? And, and he thought it was just a car, but it was actually, there was somebody inside. Wow. So the skeletal remains of William Moltz, who went missing in 1997 at the age of 40. Um, they, uh, he just went home one night and didn't didn't make it home. But you, I mean, how would they not search that? Like, like you would think. I mean, I don't know. I've been listening. I've been like on a big binge lately of like true crime podcasts. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like yeah. hooked on them. And you know, one I Have listened, you listened to, was, to Shit Town. Oh yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, great I listened to song. one about a like kind of like one of the most prolific serial killers in history that nobody has ever heard of, really. Yeah. And some of the stuff. I mean, he got away from. He got away with it for yeah. decades. Is it, before, was it was it Jack the Flipper? He killed everybody with a. Uh, Spatula yeah, from Burger exactly, King. Yep, that's exactly who it was, Michael. Is that a SpongeBob reference? No, I just oh. made it up. To the hash, uh, the hash but anyway, slasher. like it's, I don't know SpongeBob. I mean, the, uh. he was good enough at it that they just never like people would suspect him, and then they just it, the trail would go cold. Yeah. I mean, they mm. it kind of like listening to that podcast showed me he basically ended up getting ratted out by his daughter, who was like read about a missing person like a case from like 20 years back or something. She was like, wait a second, we lived there. Yeah. And she kind of always suspected her dad was like a friggin' creep, like, yeah. Incapable of that kind of stuff. And anyway, kind of like your kids, it ended up leading, <laughs> it ended up leading to like basically him confessing to like six or seven different murders around the country. Like, wow. He would murder somebody. The family would move. He would murder somebody. The family would, move. man, like, wow. and he just got away with it. Like until he was like in his seventies, when he What's the finally, podcast called? Uh, the Clearing. The Clearing, okay. Um, wow. And it's, it's yeah, it's good. So, anyway, but, like, it's not, I mean, what one of the things the guy doing the podcast said was, like, one of the things he realized was how easy it is to get away with murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're I, smart I enough about it, yeah. you can get away yeah. with it. Like, I think it's becoming increasingly harder, just with probably. cameras, closed circuit probably cameras so. and shit. But, yeah. Um, 
which may be why we see more, um, you know, mass shootings than we do serial killers now. Um, I don't know. I don't know that's the case, but, um, yeah, I I think it's incredibly harder to, to get away with. Um, yeah. So anyway, he, so he called, uh, the current, um, homeowner who used a drone to confirm that the white car was still there. Um, they called the sheriff's department, um, and they found the white sedan's, uh, exterior was heavily calcified. They got the car out and found the skeletal remains. Man, inside. that's craziness. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. So I, I guess in 1997, uh, he went to a nightclub. Uh, he did not appear intoxicated, um, but he left alone before midnight. He called his girlfriend from the club saying he would, uh, return to their Latana home soon. Um, and he was just in the, in the pond little retention That's pond. It's not even like it's, it's not even yeah. like that far off of No, it's not like the car's like, literally like on the shore almost. Like Yeah, you would think that if anybody uh, it's it's a small pond, but if anybody would get in there with a canoe or anything like you would see it you'd almost like hit bottom i mean yeah. like you'd hit that's, the tail of the car or yeah, something that's like, crazy man it's yeah. insane there's this thing now um where people are going fishing with uh magnets and uh they're just digging shit up mm-hmm. out of the out of lakes and it's like they find guns they find all kinds, all kinds of crazy of stuff, stuff man one time i was not with a magnet but we were fishing with uh berkeley trialing it's the, the finest fishing line you can get <laughs> Uh, we pulled up a goddamn. What are they a sponsor now? Yeah, I would. Uh, if they yeah. want to send me some line, I'll, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> we pulled up a goddamn tractor tire out of the bottom of Kentucky Lake yeah. with Ber- a ten-pound test Berkeley trialing. I shit you not. They're on your side. Yeah. So, Berkeley trialing, hit us up. <laughs> All right. We should tag them. Yeah, Berkeley trialing. We need this. Um, we need this. We need this. I mean, <laughs> at some point, Brad needs to fix his, the front end of his car again. It's and, very and true. Did damage it? Dude, like t- three years ago. He's, oh, yeah. Oh, he's got yeah, fishing yeah, line holding oh, it together. Oh, yeah. Sure do. <laughs> yeah. I am, I'm 100% that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I, I've got damage to my, my I've got the remains of bumpers. duct tape on the front of my car Fucked still. So. Yeah. I also have a 2016 with 280,000 yeah. miles on it. So yeah. there Mine's you go. Pretty, mine's 2016, and I think it's got getting up there. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about it. Uh, oh, Foofy. Man. Jeremy Courtney. He is the founder and president of Preemptive Love Coalition, an international relief organization engaging on the front lines of the world's most polarizing conflicts in Iraq and Syria. A decade ago, at the height of the Iraq War, Jeremy and his wife, Jessica Courtney, chose to move to Iraq. Rather than turn away from chaos and conflict, they were going to lean in and love anyway. Uh, he has been featured on CNN, Fox, ABC, NBC, PBS, CBS, Al Jazeera, and the BBC, and in the New York Times, Washington Post, and USA Today, offering expert on-the-ground commentary on the conflict in the Middle East. Jeremy's first book, Preemptive Love, tells the story of uh, the Courtney's early years waging peace in Iraq. He is here to, to discuss his second book, Love Anyway, which is uh, released on September 25th. Uh, we will be giving away three copies oh, of the book man, on Twitter. I literally podcast. can't over. Oh, it. I need to give it to you before you leave. Yes. I literally read it in like three days. It took me maybe four and or five. It, yeah. I mean, I, I will say not just, don't just read the book and listen to this. If you're not a uh, Patreon supporter, was it the $5 level to listen to the yeah. bonus content? The, our debrief. Yeah. I cannot overstate 
like what this book did to me. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. it came out of nowhere. I yeah. didn't expect it. Nope. I uh, still can't get it out of my head. Like a week later. Yeah. Um, and it's not. It's not a. It's not a theology. No. Book. No. There's it's literally not. no theology, and it. it's literally one man's story <clears throat> of learning to love. Basically, yeah. is what it is. It's not a. a, a in the midst preaching. of the worst possible circumstances. Yeah, no, it's thing. not preachy at all. No, it's not. It, I, I literally, we literally can't oversell this book. No. I mean, it's yep. so, in this interview. And we're we're giving away three copies because yeah. that's what we what we do. Yep. We believe in shit. So, uh, yeah. So check out uh, our conversation with him. It's a really great conversation. It's uh, trigger warning. You're gonna get triggered. It's fine. Get over it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Um, He's going to say things that you're not going to agree with, and that's fine. You'll be fine. Um, and we need to hear we need to hear these perspectives. So, without further ado, here's our conversation with Jeremy Courtney. Yeah. All right, Jeremy Courtney, uh, are you are you with us? I'm with you. All right, there he is. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, for our listeners, um, I I became aware of uh, you and your work with Preemptive Love uh, when you were on the Robcast, um, and you were hilariously trying to get Rob to come to Iraq, and he was deflecting that um, pretty hardcore. <laughs> Uh, so for our listeners that might not be familiar with you or your work, tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, kind of what you do. Yeah. So I moved to Iraq, uh, shortly after, I mean, a couple years after nine 11 moved into Iraq in the middle of the Iraq war, what turned out to be kind of the height of sectarian violence and conflict, uh, wanting to respond and, and make a difference in what was increasingly becoming a, a war gone off the rails. And almost immediately after moving into the country, within just a few short weeks or so, like months maybe, I met this little girl. Uh, I was introduced to this little girl who was in need of a life-saving heart surgery, and her family was begging me for help. And my wife Jessica and I decided to just throw in with that little girl, see what we could do to help their family get the, the life-saving surgery she needed. And kids just started coming out of the woodwork um, looking for help. And so we ended up starting an organization called Preemptive Love to serve those kids. And um, we were off to the races. So our, our work has changed a lot over the years, but we exist to end war because a lot of those kids who were born sick, uh, they were... They were thought to be made sick by the weapons of war and the effects of war. And in any case, they were not able to be treated because of the realities of war. And so we've been working for years to end war um, in places like Iraq, Syria, and uh, now in, in other places around the world. So the, uh, the, the book um, that you wrote called Love Anyway, uh, in the book you talk about – so you – you guys initially moved to Turkey to be missionaries, uh, and you had kind of a—I mean, not kind of a—you had a major change of heart uh, when you were there. Can you talk about uh, about that change, about how you went for one thing and ended up doing something completely different? 
Yeah, I think uh, I am. I just turned 40 years old this week, which means I was 21 or, or something. Yeah, 21 when the attacks on September 11th happened. We had gotten married just a few, two, three months prior. We had graduated from college at the same time and we had, you know, moved in together to start this life. And then these attacks on September 11th happened and it's like the whole world got shot through. Yep. Um, the, the, the surety of being uh, young people going out into the world, that, that, was a, that was a sure-footed American promise on September 10th, you know? Yep. Um, you, you knew the map, you knew the plan, at least if you grew up in a certain class with a certain skin color, with a certain, you know, education, you kind of knew what the map could be for you. And then September 11th happens and, and that whole dream, that whole promise seems like it's just uh, up in the air right now. And so I think us, along with a lot of friends, we're just uh, full of anxiety and fear. And, you know, the national narrative at that time was largely at least the one I was tapped into was that they, the dirty Muslims are coming for us. They hate us. They're against us. They hate our way of life. And so we were really formed in that crucible and we wanted to be good Christians. We wanted to be good patriots. We wanted to be good Texans. (laughs) And so we, we set off to, you know, kind of fulfill those duties after nine 11. I wasn't really the guy who was going to join the military. So we raised our hands and joined the missionary corps instead. And the reason I connect those two things is, is I think we were all trying in many ways to secure our place in the world and protect America. Mm. And not many people talk about missions like that. Um, And I, I, I just I just don't know how to see my actions through any other way now. I was sincere, I I was earnest, but I think I was actually a part of the war on terror. <laughs> uh, and so, so I do that. I, you asked about the, the the change of heart. I do that for we do that for a number of years. And and let's be clear, my wife is not me, and she wears it. <laughs> she you know, wears all this very differently than I do or did. Um, but I was, I was just very militant and very cocksure about everything. And, um, I only knew how to, apparently I only knew how to follow Jesus, so to speak, by argument and, and intense debate and rhetoric. And so for years I was just, I was, I was a jerk, frankly, I'm sure I was just a jerk arguing everywhere. I went fighting people about the finer points of theology and I'm in Turkey at a, at a covert missionary kind of conference. Um, and we're listening to these people talk about what, what is kind of like a different way, a better way, they would say, to relate to Muslims. They weren't trying to convert them. Like literally, they were not trying to make Muslims into Christians. They were trying to accept Muslims for who they were in many, many ways that I, I had never heard of or been exposed to. They were accepting Muslims at face value when Muslims said, we follow Jesus. 
And I, I thought it was spineless, frankly. I thought they were moving the goalpost. And um, I remember peeling away to go pray at one point, and I'm face down on the ground praying, and crying out to God, why aren't you doing anything through me? Like, I'm faithful, I'm, I'm out here in these streets, I'm doing it, you know? And I'm just this super arrogant, egocentric prayer. And in the middle of this prayer, um, I don't know if it was a voice from heaven. I don't know if it was a voice from inside my own tortured soul. But I, <laughs> I, heard, a, I heard a word, you know, like I, I heard a word. And the word was, it's because you don't love them, Jeremy. <laughs> and Damn. I don't know. Yeah, like I don't know if I was preaching to myself or if it was, <laughs> you know, the, the ground of all being telling me what was up. But, uh, but it landed, man, like it landed. And in that moment, I, I'm face down on the floor praying, but I see myself in my mind's eye. I've got my fists up in front of my face and I'm, I'm a fighter, like I'm a boxer. And I'm throwing jabs left and right, you know, Jesus jabs. I know how to land the, the <laughs> theological point. And when the word comes, you don't love them. I see my fists lower and my hands slacken and my elbows open up into a posture of embrace. And I'm, I'm still face down on the floor, but I'm seeing this play out in my mind's eye. And I realized in that moment what a how militant I was. I, I realized that I was the aggressor. I, mm. I was just like my other friends trying to wipe Islam off the face of the earth. Um, I didn't want a world with Muslims. That's why I, I was so hell-bent on making them Christians. And when that word came, you don't love them, I was transformed in an instant. Um, and I stood up from that ground praying and I walked out of that conference a completely different person. What? So I'm think I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm thinking of like, uh, how, how we've gone through a similar trajectory where, uh, not, not in the sense of any, anything that you've done, but in the sense of, uh, with theology and, uh, how we've moved past the arguing, the arguing yeah. about that. Um, and you've your um, journey has led you to actually living some of this shit out. You know, it's not it's not just theoretical anymore. It's not how we should love each other, but you're actually doing it. Um, I feel like so much has changed since nine eleven with with social media and people spewing their ideas out, but not really having any anything behind it. What would mm-hmm. you What would you say to to maybe your former self or, or to people that that are like you were then? Uh, what would you say to them um, in regards to what time they have left on this earth? Yeah. Um. I don't. I don't know if I can convey this in audio, but I think. I, I like to use my hands a lot when I talk. I'm gonna use my hands. Y'all can't see. That's fine. Uh, you know, there's this move that a lot of us make where we go from one polarity and we start moving to the other polarity. Yep. So yeah. either you're a you're a wanton, uh, destitute, lecherous sinner, 
who's out living it up, boozing it up, you know, sexing it up, whatever. And then you move to a place of more conservative, reeling it in, or you, you grow up conservative and protected and, you know, sort of, uh, taught or indoctrinated. And I don't mean that in a negative way. And then you, you start opening up to wider realities that are, that are essentially freedom to you. And then you go to the other pole. Um, and a lot of us, that's the only move we ever make in life. We move from left to right or right to left. Yeah. Um, and, and when that's your next move and your only move, it's very natural to, to condemn berate, sneer, give side eye to the person you used to be, to the camp you used to be in. It, it's, it may even be a required stage of development. Yep. Um, where you believe a thing, then you stop believing a thing. And so you, you, you mock the thing. And then I think that's where a lot of us get stuck. And I think that's where a lot of religion is stuck. And, and I would include in that, um, just liberalism at like a secular liberalism can get stuck there yep. as well. Um, where I am is I, I think there's another move out beyond that. And it's a move that doesn't exist just on that one dimensional axis where you go left to right or right mm-hmm. to left, but then you rise above it to another axis. You get on the Z axis and you can actually, you find yourself in a position to love it all, to, to uh, embrace and, and uh, imp- uh, approve of in a way and to see the rightness in who you were and the rightness in who you were after that and the rightness in who you are now and, th- and then to hold that with the humility because you've seen yourself change a couple times and then you know you're probably going to change again. So That's to great. my former self, I would say, yeah, I, I'll just say this real fast. To, to my former self, I would, who's listening now or you know whatever, I would say, I love you. Like it's gonna be okay. You're gonna do, you're gonna do some great things, and just just keep going. I mean, I don't. I'm not mad at that guy. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. I'm not mad at that guy. Yeah, right. That guy carried me here, and I wouldn't be who I am without him. But I, but I don't want to be any one of these guys for the rest of my life. I want to keep growing. Man, that's so good. We we've talked about that kind of thing a little bit on the podcast. I think you just put it way better than we've yeah. ever ever. And you didn't done. even. I didn't even see your hands, and I totally yeah, know yeah. what you're saying. Uh, you know, I, I think it's it reminds me of what Richard Rohr talks about: include and transcend. Um, and what he's talking about is that you include your past; it is formed who you are. Um, but then you, a natural, if you're growing, it, you you transcend those. Uh, easy categories of conservative and progressive or whatever it might be. And you, you, you rise above that. You see what it is. You include it. Yes, this is who I am or who I was. Um, but now I'm something different and that's okay. Um, yeah. And so, man, that, that's, that's it's so a good. zooming out. If you yeah, will. Yeah. A zooming out to see the full, the, or at least the, the, the full scope of what you're possible of seeing, what, what you're capable of seeing. Sorry, that was totally. I I just I, I that it. aspect really. Uh, I, I know it's not necessarily a book related, but I think your story uh, can can help others uh, process yep. uh, where what what they need to do and and, and look at themselves well, a little it, effectively. I, I hope it is, and I think it is even book related. Mm-hmm. Um, look, writing the book was healing for me. I mean, 
if if I if I, I was like I can't remember maybe a year year and a half late in turning the book in, um, <laughs> because I just there was work that needed to be done you know in my heart and the book helped the writing helped me get there, and honestly if I'd had another six months to walk away from the book like I did, let it just sit there on the shelf for a minute and then come back to it when I came back I I turned it in at this point and there was there was no going back. But when I came back to it, I was even so much healthier. Hmm. Um, and I, I could look at some of the early passages that I wrote through some of this pain and wrote through some of these perspectives. And I was like, well, I've got to bless it and release it. But, but if, I, if I'd had another six months, I could have I said this in a way that, that was more whole, that was more integrated. Um, so I, I think there are still elements of that pain in the book and the latter passages that I wrote, I think I wrote from a much healthier place. And it is integrated by the end where where by the end I'm saying things like, I know I, I know basically that me and some of the people who hurt me or I thought hurt me, we're 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 more the same. You know, we're we're all working through our stuff and um I got to a place in the book itself where I was able to be what I just described, but I, I don't know that it was fully there when I started writing. It, it's interesting that you mentioned that because now that you say that, I think that comes through in the book. I think the, I, I remember there seems to be a distinct, I don't know if change of tone is the right, the right phrase, but like in the last couple chapters, um, that mm-hmm. it's a, there's kind of a softening maybe, Mm-hmm. Um, and a, in a different perspective. So it's interesting to hear you say that you walked away from it for so long and then came back after you had healed some. And it, I, it, it totally makes sense uh, after reading the book. Um, so kind of going back a little bit to <sighs> your the progression of your story or whatever, you know, you hear that um, voice or whatever and and things are changed and all of a sudden you realize after an, a visit to Iraq oh we need to live in Iraq um that, you're <laughs> right so funny when you put it like well, I know and that's and that's what I was gonna say like it that's not it's not normal I don't mean that like you're a you're an abnormal weirdo but like the way you talk about it in the book it was like it was such a um we have to do this and you know I read that laying in bed in Indiana where I'm comfortable and just just blown away by that. Um, and eventually, after you move to Iraq, you you decide, oh, we've got to start working in Fallujah. And, you know, for Americans, you know, you, when we hear the, the name Fallujah, we immediately think of like this. I mean, it's literally hell. And mm-hmm. but when you heard it, you heard, yes, that's hell. And then you also... But what you really heard was a, it's a place of opportunity to do some of the greatest good. So, I mean, can you talk about what was that decision like to go there in the middle? Not just now. I mean, now I would assume Fallujah is a little different. But, you know, we're talking the height of the Iraq war. Uh, when Fallujah was at its worst, you see an opportunity to talk, talk. Could you talk about what that process was like? Yeah, I, I would be misrepresenting myself and people who and and my Fallujian friends if I suggested that we got there on the worst day of history but we we were the first time I went in things had calmed a little bit okay. but 
um, you know, reputations die hard. When you, when you earn a global reputation for being called the bomb factory mm -hmm. as a city, um, when you are essentially the head of Al-Qaeda, uh, when you're known as the place where they behead all the people they kidnap, like the, the reputation and the fear was extremely strong. And the danger was still very real, but but it had subsided. I think the reason I felt compelled to to approach that hell um, was because this whole story, our whole life, is the frog boiling in the pot, you know, moving a few degrees up at a time. Um, when we landed in Iraq. We, I thought we were moving into a full-blown war, battle zone, you know, like right. in a way. Um, and then it proved to be, oh, war is actually more complicated than that. When you <laughs> say a country is at war, it doesn't mean every street of the country is at war all at the same time. Right. And then you realize, oh, some cities never get directly affected by violence at all. Um, and so we moved into the one of those not directly at war cities, but it still, it still sucked in many ways. I mean, we, we had one hour of electricity a day. Um, we had to ship our water in from across town and when it was gone, it was gone. Uh, there were drive by shootings and suicide bombings, so it was hard, but then that became normal in a way. And once that becomes your normal, if your intention is to, do this thing that you've called preemptive love, you know, to constantly be moving in deeper and deeper and deeper, then, then you're, I don't know, the, the conditions, the philosophical conditions for, were ripe to keep pushing us into those places and to pay homage and give a hat tip to uh, super militant Calvinistic preachy J Jeremy. Um, there, there's just something about that worldview there's something about that kind of following Jesus. There's something about that slice of religion that is actually pretty good at mobilizing people into hard, sacrificial things. Yeah. Um, when you when you when you think almost that like it's your destiny to be a martyr for Jesus, then you're going to look at the world through a certain lens. So even though I had dissociated myself in some ways. I could probably never put that stuff down. It had it had formed me, you know. So of course it was somehow complicatedly wrapped up in how I would now go about being a humanitarian in the world. Wow. So when you when you got to Fallujah, you know, you're talking in the book, not when you started working in Fallujah, I guess I should say, you talk about how kind of the American complicity and the suffering of the people there. Um, that is something, I mean, we, I know for, for us, I think the book that was super formative for us, you know, years ago was, um, Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne. And he talks about mm. Iraq and talks about how, what he saw there. And it mirrored a lot of what you saw where the Americans are not necessarily always the good guys. Um, that is something we were raised with, as you said, you were as well. Um, and we have sort of torn down that, uh, American exceptionalism, uh, in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talk about, and I think a lot of our audience has as well, but 
can you talk a little bit about you know you you lived that firsthand seeing um i guess a narrative you were raised with dissolve before your eyes in Fallujah when you're seeing children that have you know the rates of birth defects because of american weapons and all that stuff like could you could could you talk about what that was like watching that um worldview sort of dissolve uh, and then kind of what that meant for your relationship with your supporters back home. Mm. Yeah. So we'd, w- when we made the pivot from the, that, that version of missionary life that we were living out, left that behind, decided we didn't want to convert Muslims anymore. Um, we wanted a world with Muslims. We embraced Islam and Muslims as having a right to be and exist and desiring that they be well and in our lives fully and then launched into Fallujah. Um, we were able, I guess maybe even to my surprise in some ways, we were able to bring a lot of that base with us, those people who had been with us from the beginning. Um, so a lot of our, a lot of the book is about, what it's like when people change at different trajectories yeah, and what it's like when, um, you know, my, my pain or surprise or trauma that I explore through the book is, is this dynamic of like, you guys sent me out into the world. You're the ones who called me, to follow Jesus and go be out in the world after 9-11, whatever your motivations were, whatever our motivations were. But I was the young guy and I was trying to be obedient and you sent me out and I did your bidding or our bidding and now I'm out here, I'm in these streets, I'm watching it go down and I'm changing my my worldview. Our worldview is, is crumbling now that I'm not in hometown USA and you don't want to hear it (laughs) and I don't know what to do with that because all I'm doing is being faithful all I'm doing is what you told me to do I I set out into the world because you didn't want to and that's cool that's fine I don't I'm not trying to judge you but I do expect my my report my honest to God assessment of what's going on, I do expect that to hold water. And it just turned out over and over and over again, it didn't hold water. Um, And so I guess what it got me thinking about it at a deeper level is why do we believe what we believe? (laughs) And what would it take to change? And it was a, it was a cold shower of, of reality that like 90% of the people we know in our lives and, and probably me as well, if I hadn't heard the word, heard the voice, we're not actually looking to be educated. We're not looking to be informed. We're not looking to move off of our, our pedestal, our, our patch of land that we're defending. And I, I had fancied myself as this sort of sober-minded educator. I could go see the facts and report back and people would change. But that's just not how human development, mm-hmm. tribalism, psychology, religion. It's just not how it works. 
So you, you say a number of times in the book that it matters what we call people. And I think, mm. um, I think that's, a, especially now, especially in America, um, given the current political climate and, um, the immigration crisis and kids in cages, it, that that whole thing's really convicting for me because it's not just about what Republicans call, you know, Mexican immigrants or, or whoever it matters mm-hmm. what progressive people call conservatives. And, um, it basically matters what you call people you disagree with. <laughs> um, yep. the, the point is that, and I think you can just comment on us. The point is that we have to stop dehumanizing one another. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, coming out of 9-11, um, I, I don't remember any deep consciousness of Muslims prior to 9-11. Right. Um, but after 9-11, it's like it consumed <laughs> our yep. our every news cycle for, you know, the next 10 years, it seemed like. Yep. And what we called Muslims, what we called Iraqis and Arabs, and, yep. you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it affected us. It changed us. Um, as we sought to change them. Uh, so we've worked really hard, probably not from day one, but as these things started dawning on us in, as we walked through the, the stories of life, um, we started recognizing that like, there is a way to talk about your enemy that essentially strips them of humanity. And if you can turn them into vermin, cockroaches, monsters, animals. I mean, there are few people on the planet who, relatively speaking, who have as deep of a regard for animal life as they have for human life. Yep. So even that move to turn language from human to animal, we kill animals all the time and eat them and throw them in dumpsters and pass them on the streets of New York City with like dead animals. So like if we can make that move alone to calling people animals, then it makes it much easier to contemplate killing them because they're just a they're just a threat to us or they're they're more disposable. And and then certainly if you can make the move all the way to monster, alien, alien invader, complete other species, uh it, it makes it a lot easier to to wipe them out. And once that reality started becoming clear to me, we've worked really hard to look deep into the eyes of every enemy and say, I I am made of the same stuff as that guy, and that guy's made of the same stuff as me. Yeah, you um <clears throat> something I didn't even you know, as, as in America during especially during the war not just during the war, but we're fed a specific media narrative about the Middle East. Um, you know, we were definitely fed a specific narrative about the Iraq war. I don't even remember hearing anything about the Yazidi people. Um, you spend a, quite a bit of time in the book talking about the fact that they endure, uh, endured a genocide. I had no clue. You know, the, the narrative in America was that ISIS um, were specifically targeting Christians they were uh, hell bent on destroying Christianity, 
And, you know, reading the book, it seems that actually what they started out doing was destroying the Yazidi people because they considered them to be basically demon possessed. Um, like what, can you talk about a little bit about, I know you mentioned quite a bit in the book, but talk about the Yazidi people and what they endured. Um, and then kind of how, like what, what's the real story there? Yeah. I, I, so we had lived in Iraq. Let me do the math real fast. Probably eight years by the time ISIS rose up in such yeah. a big way. So we were we were deep in it, and our work had taken us all over the country. We'd worked with top government officials from the prime minister's people to the first lady. Um, I'd slept in Saddam's palaces, and we'd worked <laughs> with all the tribal leaders. Our work was really successful, which meant we had a wide breadth of experience um, across regions, across ethnic groups, across religious leadership. And so when ISIS sprung up on the scene, I was, by all accounts, one of the foremost people who could speak to what was going on from the ground. Um, and so I, I spent a lot of time in Europe and the U.S. over those, those early years of ISIS rising up, trying to offer a more balanced narrative and trying to say, y'all are losing your ever-loving collective minds over the supposed... Um, obliteration of Christianity while not telling a more fully orbed story about the other people who are suffering. Right. This, this doesn't need to be an either or. Uh, it doesn't need to be a dualistic thing. We can talk about all the suffering people without reverting to our own kind of tribalism. Right. And um, so when it came to writing the book, I, I felt like there were plenty of other people who had taken up the cause of, of continuing to talk about the Christian side of suffering, which was real. And I, I wanted to give a little more airtime to fellow Muslim suffering and this very small group of people called the Yazidi people. They're an ethno-religious minority, which means um, they, you cannot become one of them. Um, you can't convert to Yazidism. Hmm. They they are a kind of um, syncretic amalgamation. That's a very anthropological kind of word, but they are a kind of a, a, they have drawn unto themselves and taken on the beliefs and aspects of uh, a number of religions that have surrounded them over the over the centuries to continue to uh, evolve and survive amidst a dominant Christianity, then a dominant Islam. And so they, they're kind of, uh, at their core, they're somewhat Zoroastrian, okay. um, in nature, but they've, but they've also pulled under themselves some, some Christian characteristics and some Islamic characteristics. There's, I don't, I don't know what we're saying. The number is left in the world today, probably 400, 500,000 would be my guess. Um, now spread, uh, mostly through northern Iraq and Europe, um, as as this one wasn't their first genocide, they actually call this their seventy fourth genocide Jeez. that has happened. Jeez. Um, so it's a it's so, a people that know suffering. <laughs> yeah, they know it well because um, because of how easy it is to vilify and demonize 
others. When when you, uh, yeah, it's just it's just a, it's part of the playbook, right? Like you know how to take rituals or beliefs of the other side and major on them and use it to define the whole movement or the whole people. So, for example, they're known to use fire in some of their rituals. Well, a bastardization of that belief has led them to be known as fire worshipers. That's not true. They don't worship fire. Um, but it's an easy it's an easy sort of thing to throw at them to make them more other, more yep. scary, more not like us, more backward. Um, they, there's some dynamics of their beliefs that, that are different enough from Christianity and Islam that they've been called devil worshipers. They don't worship the devil. They just, <laughs> they, they just have a, they, the way they deal with the problem of evil in the world that we're all asking questions about how could a good God um, sanction or do bad things, depending on which way you look at it. Uh, they have a an answer to that or a response to that that um, has a bit of light and shadow inside mm. it. And things like that have led them to be vilified as devil worshipers because they, the way they're trying to work out the problem of evil in the world is different enough from what the people around them have said. They're beautiful, beautiful, wonderful people, as as many minority groups are. When you are down and out and you don't have power and you've lived your whole life figuring out how to, uh, how to code switch and integrate and peacemake to survive, um, they're, they're very humble, by and large, very humble, kind, generous people. Um, who, who don't preach violence, who, for whom violence is not at the core of their religion. And um, it, it has made them very vulnerable over the years, especially to other groups that, that do have more militant theology and militant histories. Hmm. Um, so I think, you, you know, you said your preemptive love, your, your guys' goal is to end war. Obviously a very ambitious goal. Um, I think it's really easy to live in America especially as a progressive and call yourself a pacifist, um, you know, because we're, we're rarely in situations where it really matters. I mean, I can call myself a pacifist, but I'm not, my life is in no real danger right now. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I can say that as somebody who does that, I mean, it, I, I would call myself a pacifist, but it's easy for me to do that. Um, but as someone who's lived in the middle of a war zone, you know, your life has been threatened by violence um, but also protected by dudes with guns, <laughs> you know, so there's like a, it seems like there's mm -hmm. a tension there. Can you talk about what it's like to live in that tension? Yeah, I think in the early days of, uh, our life in Iraq, when I was just waking up to some of these realities, um, uh, my, my first discovery which I, I breeze over in the book is, is a book called the kingdom of God is within you. Yeah. Tolstoy. And yeah. it's written, it's written by Leo Tolstoy mm -hmm. in the late 1800s, I believe. And it's, uh, it's his treatise on pacifism and it goes on to massively inspire and help <laughs> give 
rise to Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. and and others. And he's drawing from a deep tradition himself. And my discovery of pacifism was, as as I described earlier, it was a move from the right to the left. Right. And uh, kind of went in whole hog and got very critical of the guy I had used I used to be. Um, but then I started waking up to the fact that wait, maybe I'm still alive today. Maybe I am living in the one of the relatively safer regions of Iraq because of guys with guns, because of some form of mutually assured destruction, because <laughs> of whatever, you know, deterrence policies and, and armament. And I backed off. I had to back off that um, personally because... Well, when I when I really started having to own up to the complexities of it was when ISIS was coming for us, when ISIS was barreling down the street. I don't know if any of us remember caravans of stolen trucks yep. from the military, guys clad in black uh, headscarves and, you know, jump suits and, you know, they're waving AKs in the air and they're driving tanks down the street and they're just obliterating town after town after town. And we're next. I mean, they're like 35 minutes away, 45 minutes away from our town and they're coming for us. And there has nothing that has stopped them as they've made their march. One of my good friends is kidnapped and killed by them just in days before. And I mean, they are on their way. And then the U S steps in and starts hitting their convoys from the air with these airstrikes and they stop. They, the U S wins, the airstrikes win and our town survives and our region survives, which means probably tens of thousands of people are not slaughtered. And the economic devastation is not as bad as it would be and you know an economic hub of the country is able to survive so that we can all rebuild and try to rise together and there's this safe haven that allows aid workers and humanitarians to to stay put even though it's still scary some of us stay put and we start working to rebuild man when when it saves your life yeah and it saves your neighbors lives some of the simplicity of ivory tower pacifism yep. gets a lot harder to to uphold and defend. So where I've landed is now I, I think we have probably painted ourselves into a corner where we've we have created the conditions for a lot of violence and we've probably painted ourselves into a corner where we might not have given ourselves any way out except more violence. Right. Um, but if we dare engage in the violence that will plant the seeds of the next war, we should at least do so with humility. We should at least not vilify our enemies. We should at least recognize their humility, their, their humanity. We should not stand over their dead bodies and, and gloat and, there is a way to wage violence that could still be full of humanity and a kind of humility, even regret in a way like you can, you can be proud that you've saved a lot of lives, 
and still regret and be honest about your regret that you had to take a life. And I, I think what I know from my engagement with my my engagement and I'll I'll even say my embeddedness with the military, um, my partnership with the military, what I know from my friends in the military, both at the special ops level and the the kind of front lines door kicker level, is that we don't do a very good job of allowing um that complexity to exist in our warriors. Um, and, and it comes, it's even when we say things like, thank you for your service. Yep. Thank you for your service. Passing in a grocery store is, is so well intentioned, but it actually makes it harder and harder and harder for a lot of our friends to live well and integrated with some of the horrible things that we've tasked them with doing. Wow. I'll stop there. No, that's fantastic. Um, A question I was thinking as I was reading the book, I mean, you know, you talk at a number of, there's a number of stories where, you know, your guys' lives were definitely in danger. I, I, I'm a person that struggles with anxiety and I, I mean, I, I can't imagine what it's like to live with that fear. I mean, how, how do you conquer your fear to do the work that you do? I gave up conquering fear. Um, that I was exposed to, to a kind of American machismo, uh, Iraqi Arab machismo, Islamic machismo, and Christian machismo. We're, we're all shot through with this. Mm-hmm. If if you believe God, then you know that um, you, you know basically you must not be afraid. There's a lot of religious tradition that that has that. And then there's a lot of patriotic tradition that has that. So I was, I was so surrounded by a lot of that, uh, kick fear in the face. Let's all just be brave. But, but it didn't work for me. Like I, I, I was still afraid. I was afraid for myself. I was afraid for the men and women beside me. And I was afraid for the people that we were trying to protect miles away in some kind of safe haven so I, I've moved more just into how can I keep fear with me? Because fear is not bad. Fear is actually, there, there's a lot of wisdom in fear. Mm-hmm. Um, fear keeps us from, from doing stupid things that, that evolutionarily we've already discovered to be bad for our health, you know. Um, but how could I move fear maybe from the driver's seat of my whole life to the passenger seat or an advisory role in the back seat <laughs> of my life. I, I want to drive my car. I, yeah, I want to drive the car of my life. Um, and I want to do it in a way that is not purely reactionary. Um, I want to do it in a way where I have some agency, but I I think it's foolhardy to think that we can get kick fear out of the car altogether. Right. Okay. Um, so kind of tagging onto that question, you guys have witnessed so much loss and trauma and, and since you've lived there, um, it's kind of a two part. What, what do you, what continues to sort of energize you and give you hope? And what do you, what do you and your family sort of do to decompress or what kind of, I guess, soul maintenance do you do you do while you're living in the midst of this kind of just this 
suffering and trauma and um, constant danger. Well, I'll say this. Our work has, I don't know that we've always been clear about this uh, or that it has always been clear um, because we kind of became a poster child for a certain sort of life and a certain sort of work in a specific place for a while there. But our work has always been meant to be universal in the, in the sense that we never really saw ourselves as just being the Iraq people or the Syria people or the Muslim people, you know, the, or working just in the Middle East. Like for a really long time, we have understood that this is about the violence in our own hearts and, and therefore this way of preemptive love or this, our, our collective need to look at the fear and the pain of the world, the complexity of the world and learn how to love anyway. This is common to all of us on the streets of the U S across Europe, across Northern Africa, the Middle East, wherever we live, we all need this. So we've been, we've been trying to see our work through that lens and trying to invite people to wage peace on the front lines where you live for a minute but, um, you know, while, while we were so deep in the streets of Aleppo, Syria and Mosul, Iraq, it, it became pretty easy to just keep thinking of us for people to keep relegating us or confining us to that space. So I'd say one of the ways that we find energy is, is, is through the, the endless possibilities of growth that exist when we get to have conversations with people who aren't on the streets of Mosul, who aren't on the streets of Aleppo, who aren't still under a kind of besiegement and bombardment in northwestern Syria. Uh, when, we, when we can have an interesting conversation because of the life we've lived so far and then say, yeah, but look at what's going on in Mexico or let's talk about Venezuela or what can we do in North Korea um, to, to pivot the conversation in many ways and say, Look, it worked for us there. It worked for us in Fallujah. And I'm promising you it works for you in Indiana. Um, that, that's full of like so much life to, to watch people work on their own fear, work on their own anxiety, work on what they call people. And we say, I said to end war because that's kind of the pithiest way to say it. But, but in our in our team meetings and stuff, when you back up one level from that, we are working to build the largest, most diverse community of peacemakers on the planet. <laughs> so that's the work. The work is helping our, our friends on the Korean Peninsula get connected to our friends in Texas, get connected to our friends in Fallujah, and all of us realizing that, that we're in this together. And... Um, We've lived a life that gives us some credibility to say some of that, mm -hmm. uh, but but we don't see our work as relegated to to any of those one places where we've lived and been shot at, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I will say for my part, uh, I, I could not put the book down, um, and it wasn't just the stories. I was talking to these guys the other night, um, and I read. I read about a third of the book one day and then I read two thirds over the next couple of days and finished it. Couldn't put it down. 
and I could not get to sleep uh, one night, not just because of the stories and the, the, all of that was part of it, just the thinking about the unimaginable suffering that so many people have gone through um, that you're in your orbit. Uh, but it really made me think about myself and how I relate to my community because we live in a very um, super Trumpy town in the middle of Indiana. Uh, I, I mean, we're, we're not that we're not, we're definitely not conservative. Um, I struggle sometimes to really want to be in my community and it. I, I will say it, I'm not sure I'm going to be a different, I, I'm not sure I'm the same person before after reading the book that I was before. Yep. Um, so I, I think just so you know, I think that really comes across in the book. Wow. I'm, I'm literally crying. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I will. I mean, that's, it's, that's, that's everything to me. That's, that's, that's why I wrote the book. I mean, of course, I want to see more support keep flowing to Iraq and Syria and Libya and Iran and Yemen. Uh, but what I've been trying to say for for years now with with greater fervency is how we talk about people in Indiana. Yeah. There is a direct line between that and the bomb that drops in my backyard in Iraq. Man. It, we are connected the way we talk, the way we vote. That is the meaning of globalism. And it's, it's the next order of human development yep. when we realize that our, our tribe, the ground that we stand on, has always been much, much wider than any of us ever imagined. We are all standing on the same ground, sleeping under the same sky, and, and we belong to each other in ways that we have only yet begun to explore. So to hear you say that that you might be different, to hear you say that you got it. I, I had to focus the story on one thing. Right. Yep. Um, I had to make it about Iraq or it would have just been an ambling mess. But, <laughs> but, but to, because I, cause I do have a global vision for, for how this has all played out, but I had to choose to focus it in and to hear you say that the specificity worked and you picked up what I was putting down yeah. where you live without me ever talking about yep. white supremacy in the U S and without me ever talking about our black friends being gunned down in the streets. And that is everything to me. That's yeah. why I wrote the book. That's awesome, man. Um, what can I, I was, I'm reading the book. I was kind of, I've, I've wondered because the reality is in America, Iraq and Syria, it's, they've completely left our consciousness at this point um, mm -hmm. by and large. I mean, they don't dominate the news much um, like they used to, what are those places like today? I mean, what's the progress? Is there progress? I mean, what's the sentiment of the people towards America today? Um, I was just really curious about that reading the book. Yeah, it, it depends on where you are. Um, the, the conditions that we've set globally and, and the conditions that we set um, I mean, this played out a little bit under Obama and a little bit under Trump, but it definitely accelerated under Trump. 
the there there was a, a real uptick in airstrikes, indiscriminate yeah. airstrikes, a real uptick in civilian casualties in Iraq under the Trump administration because he was so hellbent on quote unquote defeating ISIS that arguably what the Trump administration helped usher in and it's it's not as though Obama was was not also a part of this, but it, it accelerated was a sort of indiscriminate destruction of cities like Mosul. Yep. So, so it's hard to rebuild right now. I mean, it's, it's just one step at a time, one house at a time. And, um, so it's, that's, it's happening. Uh, it's rebuilding and, and people are, they're not living in some day to day, uh, constant beratement of the United States or anything like that. Um, and, and it's worth saying, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say there are some people who absolutely love Trump and believe that he, he was the savior that, that helped finally obliterate ISIS. There, there are all kinds of people, you know, across yeah, Iraq and Syria, right. just like there are yeah, yeah, sure. across the United States. Um, so I, I think the easiest thing to say is Iraq and Syria are rebuilding there are parts of Iraq and Syria that are still under attack. There are parts that are still under extremist control. Um, and maybe the most important thing I should say is ISIS 2.0 or whatever you want to call it is reconstituting itself. Yep. We didn't win. Uh, we, at least not in any ultimate sense, because you can't bomb ideas <sighs> out of existence. Yes. Um, that's why I think our work is so essential. You, you have to, the, the main, what I hope will be the clarion call of the whole book is, um, do we dare press in toward these ideologies and the things that scare us and the things that do harm in the world and dare to transform them? with our love. That is and should be the real meaning of pacifism. It's a transformation of energy. It's not merely to plop a pacifier in a baby's mouth and let them just lay there sucking on something. It's, it's meant to transform something bad into something good, something negative into something generative. And that's what's needed in the streets of the United States. It's not enough to just live beside white supremacy and and not destroy it. It's certainly not enough to just march in the streets and scream and shout and yell about it. We actually have to do the harder work of draw near to white supremacy. And that's not a very progressive, woke thing to be found doing, yep. but it's the work. If we don't draw near to white supremacy and white supremacists in relationship, in vulnerable life-giving, unfair, it-might-cost-you-everything sort of relationship, it will not be transformed. It'll go underground just like ISIS, and it will rear its ugly head again in the forms that we've seen over the last few years. Hmm. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call that a closer. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Um, so we're going to give away a few copies of your book on Twitter. Um, where Where can people go to support you where can they find the book where can they they get where can they support you best 
Uh, you can pick it up on Amazon or your local bookstore. Um, those are those are great and easy. Uh, the book is really part of a wider thing that we're doing. Uh, this this work, this thing that I've talked about, drawing near to others, drawing near to the thing that scares us. Kind of with the book, we are launching more widely a program that we call Love Anyway Gathering. It's meant to be a monthly neighborhood gathering right where you are all over the world. North Korean, you know, we're looking for North Korean neighborhoods. We're looking across Indonesia and we're looking across Indiana for people to raise their hand and say, I want to come together with someone who's a little different than me and I want to help lead us out of this wilderness that we find ourselves in. So you can find more about that at loveanyway.com dot com uh, all that campaign the book goes live everything on september 24th so if you're hearing this after september 24th um, we are in full-blown growth mode right now trying to get the word out and start monthly love anyway gatherings all across the world that's awesome very cool and website preemptivelove.org correct preemptivelove.org yep. loveanyway.com you can find your way back there okay. Awesome. Well, man, we really appreciate your time. This was fantastic. The like I said, the book is it, it goes beyond just being a a good read. Yeah. It 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 did something to me. Um so uh we thank you so much for giving us your your time. Loved it. Thank you guys. Oh, wrong one. Now that we puked in your sea, you can tell us what you think. The five stars get red, but one star is dead to us. Snoke is Palpatine. Michael's hot Star Wars takes. Yeah. <laughs> Just put it out there. You heard it here first. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, I don't know if we have any five stars. Let me look. Hold on. Let me play this in the meantime. Hey, you know what? There's no five star. Oh. We haven't had one since like mid July. Michael. Michael. Yeah. Brad. What? Feedback? Uh, I don't know if we have any. Let me look. <laughs> you couldn't be doing that while he was doing that? I'm just thing. waiting. I'm just waiting for you to be. Oh, you do have feedback? I, I don't. There's like two. Okay, fine. What are you Michael, doing? Michael, stop it. Oh, it's me. Yeah, I it forgot. Is you. uh, yeah, you're the problem. Chris Stein at Chris Stein Music. Uh, Steve Dunn's beard has to be one of my favorite guests. Love his songwriting. I totally resonate. Thanks yep. for bringing him on. Stephen Delapos. Uh I seen to nothing <laughs> at Brandon Evans 619. <laughs> 
Apples to Apples was the official board game of small groups for a good reason. It's your one shot to make dirty jokes with church friends and have an excuse on record. It's just the rules of the game. <laughs> Hashtag your eat, pray, love your. I had to say Helen Keller. Oh, I had God. To. All right. In my Apples to Apples, we had a Matt Polly card. Did we? Yeah, we sure did. Did I play that version or yeah, did you just have that no, without me? They have like ones you can write stuff in. Well, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, there was that, and we had Minja on one. Yeah, we did have Minja. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember the rest. I don't either. I've Whatever. got the bu- I've got it at home. That's fine. Hit the button, Michael. Uh, we got a button? What? Yeah. Feedback? Oh. Or not feedback, uh, hashtags. Okay. Yeah. You text me. Well, we paid close Nobody. attention, and we wrote them all down. Now it's He's time meditating. to decide our hashtag. Hashtag Jesus Jobs. Excuse me, Jesus Jabs. Wait, wait. That's from the interview Saturday. Oh. Yeah. Uh, hashtag something you can actually swallow. <laughs> hashtag you mother fluffer. Hashtag tried to aerate it. Oh, you mother fluffer's fluffing <laughs> with my shit. Will you stop texting? No. God. Really glad you're engaged. I don't care. What are we doing? None of this matters. What? <laughs> Cause it all was Hashtag like Superman when he gave up. Hashtag it's like a multivitamin. I don't remember what that was from, but it was something pretty. Something about jizzing or. No, no, wasn't that. Uh, hashtag jerking oh, off. Oh, your in... beer, your beer. That was it. Three oh, yeah. beers a day. Hashtag jerking off into an acoustic guitar. What? What? That's something he Where said. Where were you at? What? Probably texting somebody. Hashtag yeah. Elvis Cash. Hashtag going to Big Rock Candy Mountain. Hashtag semen missiles. Well, no. <laughs> He's like Neo in the Matrix dodging semen bullets. <laughs> it's it's semen time instead of bullet time. Hashtag Indiana Bones in the Temple of Poon. <laughs> That's the porn version. That has to exist. It definitely Probably. has to exist. Somebody bought... Hey, Michael, the, why don't you Google that? Somebody bought the Matrix camera setup, the rig, and made a porn in, into it. <laughs> and then hashtag... Huge Bang Bros guy. <laughs> but they were bending over the other way. Uh, this first one, I don't know if this was from, I don't, it was, I, I wrote this one down on Saturday when we did the interview. Yeah. Uh, hashtag, uh, the Apostle Paul is dead to me. I don't I think you said it, but I don't know if it was during the interview or if it was. It's it hard to tell. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, hashtag something you can actually swallow. Ugh. Hashtag little McFailures. <laughs> hashtag <laughs> Hashtag does not smell good Hashtag like a multivitamin Hashtag little bit of Rex Manning <laughs> Hashtag Eddie Money is dead to me And then hashtag shortage of Red Bull <laughs> That's a pretty good one uh, I've got little McFailures Click my button That's a personal favorite uh, It's called edging uh, <laughs> playing in a coffee shop, jerking off into an acoustic guitar. That's a little too long. Uh, and shortage of Red Bull. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm fine with shortage of Red Bull. We're well, just going to pass up on semen muscles. Uh, yeah, we're going to pass uh, up on semen muscles. How about Indiana Bones in the Temple of Boone? What do you see, Gwinners? Indiana Jones in the Temple of what? Indiana Bones in the Temple of Poon. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. No, we're not doing Indiana do Bones of, in the Temple about, of Poon. What about just Temple of Poon? No, we're not doing Temple of Poon. How about like Superman when he gave up? 
Like fuck everything, Superman. What if we didn't do a pot? Didn't do a hashtag. <laughs> uh, what was the one? What was the t- one you two both had? Little McFailures. I'm pretty okay with that <laughs> actually. All right. All right. Little but McFailures. How you gonna spell it? Uh, little M C P H A I L U R E S. Okay. Little McFailures. Right. We're talking about the Siemens in the sock that yes. Brian McPhail gave Matt yes, as a thank gift. Thank you, Michael. As a reminder. M C P H A L. Does he have? Does he have an A in his? Yes. In his name? No, is I think Mac it's just. Mc, I don't think it's, it's Mac. Mc. I think no, it's, it's M C. Yeah. Yeah. All right, there we go. Little McFailures. You know, it's, he does have an M A C. Does he? Mac failure. Okay, Mac failures. Oh, for All God's right. sake. Uh, yeah, we totally screwed that up. It matters for everybody that doesn't like tweet us. Yeah, where I mean, yeah, like it matters. You get spelled however the fuck you want. All two of you that are gonna actually <laughs> send in tweets, nobody cares. Spell it however you want to spell it. We're gonna revamp this podcast. It's gonna be all dick jokes, right? Because because it, it isn't at this point. All right, head on over to Twitter. You're gonna you know, play the music. Oh, yeah, gonna, like yeah. Uh, do that thing so you can get a free fucking book. Yeah, you want this book? I'm not lying. You really want this book? All right. If you listen to this epitode, epitode. God damn <laughs> did it. it. I did, did it. It was a natural epitode appearance. Wow. Uh, this episode in its entirety. Hit us up on social media with the hashtag, hashtag little Mac failures. Yeah. Mac pal's brother. He <laughs> was not as successful. It <laughs> lives on the West Coast. We're on Twitter at Pastors Podcast. That's all I need. He also sings falsetto. Nope. Uh, Facebook.com slash Pastors Podcast. I'm, sort of, I'm barely on Twitter. At MJ Basinger. Um, Somebody told me they follow me on Twitter. They're like, cool. Instagram <laughs> and Glorious Pastors. See you never. Support this podcast comes from listeners like you. Jizzmuzzle.com. Uh, you want the, the the conversation we had after? Yeah, the, the conversation we did have afterwards. I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, because we had well, there was some stuff we had to process too. Yeah, it was it was hot. Content. It's that kind of interview. Like it's it's yeah. really it's really good. So yeah, yeah, get it, get it, yeah, get it. Stop it, get it. Stop. Patreon.com/slash get it. No, it's not Patreon.com. I feel like we dropped the ball, dropped the ball on that one though. Patreon.com slash get it. Get it. I am so hot, I'm going to take my clothes off. It is 828. Is that? Everybody hates This podcast. Oh, well. Your your choice. I thought that's where you were going. That was Brad unplugging. Bye. (laughs)